You're listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For more information, please visit our website, maranathajax.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Pastor Brian here, and we are in week 10 of our study of the book of Acts this summer, studying basically the books uh, or the chapters of 16 through 18. And I want to read something to you, and I hope you notice something interesting about this. And so I'm going to read you a chunk of chapter 16, it's uh, verses 6 through 10. And just, I want you to listen along. Paul and his companions had traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, did you hear anything interesting that happened in the middle of that set of verses? I'm going to read, I'll read it again. I'll start, uh, I'll start kind of halfway through just so you can hear. And I'm going to emphasize certain words and just pay attention. And hopefully you'll hear this. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter through Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, say this is an interesting thing because all of the sudden, this book goes from third person to first person. And what we see here is that Luke, the guy who's writing this book, is now here and he's with Paul and he's now part of this story. And this is a very interesting thing. It happens a couple of times in the book of Acts. This is the first time. And it really lends a lot to the credibility of this book because, and it can be so easily missed. You could just read right over that and not even notice that that happened, but it did happen. And and why that matters is because some this is, I, I'm convinced by this. I, Craig Keener, the theologian, talks about this that some scholars say that in ancient biographies and in ancient uh, historical books, uh, the writers would insert themselves. It was kind of a the fic, they called it like a fictitious literary device where you would talk in first person in certain events and it was like okay to do that even if you weren't there if everybody kind of do it and so some scholars say well that's just what he's doing here but if you notice <laughs> this is a really random moment to just suddenly insert yourself and that actually again lends to the credibility of it because when people did that kind of thing with this historical fictitious literary device they would put themselves in really key points like they would do it when Acts 2, like when like the Holy Spirit was there, that's when they would do that kind of thing. And that's not what this is. This is just kind of a random moment almost. And so it actually, the conclusion that I think is uh, convincing that Craig Keener is putting forth is that it actually is probably the truth. This is what happened. This is when Luke met up with them and became part of their team. And And later when he wrote all this book, it's just, that's when it happened. And so he's talking about that. And so then you start to think about well, why did he even write this book? Because this book and the book and the Gospel of Luke fit together and they're telling kind of a continuous story. And a lot of people, because it catalogs this kind of the story of Jesus and then the beginnings of the church in certain ways. And in the book of Acts, you continually see that every time that the Christians are brought before the 
the courts or whatever, they're, 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 the rulings are in the favor of the, of the Christian people. They're like, this isn't right, or, you know, we can't stop them if this is God, and, you know, all these types of things. And even when there are judgments where they end up getting beaten or whatever, they're still vindicated by God in some sort of way. And so a lot of people think that this book actually might have been being written uh, which I don't want to, you know, it, towards the end when Paul's in Rome that he needs a legal defense that they might have even, like, they he might have sat down and wrote this book purely as a legal defense for Paul to say, like, look, this is what happened and here's how we got here. And and the reason they think that is that there's all these legal cases that are in ruling in favor of the Christian people. So he's saying that, like, hey, you know, you should probably do the same thing as these other precedents. But Again, Craig Keener doesn't think maybe that that's the best way to look at this. It's it's It could be that, but he said because it's structured as a narrative, it's less likely to be a legal document, and it's more likely just maybe making a general defense for Christianity and its existence. And so the book of Acts serves as an apologetic, and what that means is that it confronts our culture with the truth of Jesus. A lot of times people use the word apologetics to describe how— we might explain that believing in God is reasonable. And I like Leslie Newbegin, I've mentioned before, he doesn't like that definition because he says that in order to say that following God is reasonable or to explain God as reasonable, it's setting as the precedent what we find reasonable or how our culture thinks. And he's saying that you can't really jam God into some sort of way of thinking. You have to start with God and then build out from there. And I can read a quote from him here where he's talking about that. The story the church is commissioned to tell, if it is true, is bound to call into question any plausibility structure which is founded on other assumptions. And plausibility structure means a way of thinking. The affirmation that the one by whom and through whom and for whom all creation exists is to be identified with a man who was crucified and rose bodily from the dead cannot possibly be accommodated with any within any plausibility structure except one of which it is the cornerstone in any other place in the in the structure it can be only a stone of stumbling meaning you can't just try to understand this because it's so outside of any way of understanding the reasonableness of christianity will be demonstrated insofar as it can be not by adjusting its claims to the requirements of a pre-existing structure of thought but by showing how it can provide an alternative foundation for a different structure to look outside the gospel for a starting point for the demonstration of the reasonableness of the gospel is itself a contradiction of the gospel for it implies that we look for the logos elsewhere than in Jesus. So why do why am I bringing all of this stuff up? Why does all this matter? I think it matters because the Bible can feel far off and distant and we can kind of moralize it or turn it into maybe some stories that we can take some lessons from and all that kind of thing. But if you really stop and think about the fact that a man named Luke sitting down 2,000 years ago wrote about things he actually saw happen or was involved with about Jesus and what his followers were doing and the things he saw, you can't just set aside the parts of it you don't like or try to just learn some general good, you know, moral lessons or something like that. You have to reckon with it in the same way you reckon with, you know, American history or the story of Abraham Lincoln being assassinated or something like that, but in even more so. And that's what we mean by apologetic, that this book that we've been looking at this whole summer is a challenge. And it served that way uh, at the time, again, Keener here says that it challenged the Roman law, it challenged the Greek philosophy, and it challenged just general Asian farmers on their own terms. It was challenging 
the way people thought, the way people lived, the way people valued things, the way people treated each other, and it's challenging us now. And I pray that we are willing to live up to that challenge.